you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Welcome to Buckets, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. My name's Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by Albert Wynn. He's the analytics capper. You can find him on Twitter in the Action Network app, at analytics capper. Albert, how was your new year? Happy new year to you. Glad to be with you. You ready to talk some NBA? Yeah, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's to you and your and yours, Matt. Um, thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm ready to talk NBA right now. It's a big... Uh, this is when the NBA really matters, in my opinion, right? We're going to talk about a lot about the awards and, you know, teams making a run. I see that we're highlighting my team, the Mavericks, which I'm excited about. So, uh, no, the, the New Year's was awesome. Excited to get back to work. Excited to dive into these games. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. This is going to be your weekend review. We talk about what's going on in the NBA recently through the prism of how to bet it in the awards market primarily. We'll also talk about a little bit of futures here on the show. And I'm going to start with this question, Albert. I'm going to start with one simple question. Is this actually just a two-man MVP race? Every Monday on Twitter, you can follow me at HP Basketball. I lay out where the stats are for the MVP candidates based off of the top six candidates at FanDuel Sportsbook. That list, obviously, this week, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, and Joel Embiid. That's your top six going into the new year. But I have to kind of wonder if given how things are kind of progressing and there's a number of developments I think we have to contextualize as we look at the entire kind of landscape of the league, I'm starting to wonder if this is a two-man race uh, between Nikola Jokic, two-time winner going for his third in a row, and Luka Doncic. Luka at FanDuel is plus 280. In the last two weeks, this is what Luka has done. 50-10-8 versus Houston. 60-21-10 versus the Knicks on 12-27. 51-6-9 versus the Spurs on 1231 Dallas is on a six game win streak. They finally started to beat some bad teams, which is their problem early. <laughs> and they're now on pace based off of Pythagorean expectation, which is essentially point differential versus your strength of schedule. They're on pace for 49 wins this season. So if they, if they regress to the mean, they improve to the mean, 
they should be on pace for about 49 wins. Notably, by the way, that's actually better than what Denver is currently on the pace of, given Denver's early season kind of malaise, even as they were winning games. Uh, Nikola Jokic, on the other hand, is plus 440 with an absolutely just torrid streak in the last two weeks. 41-15-15 versus the Suns on Christmas. 47-6 versus the Kings in a loss on 12-28. 30-12-12 versus Boston on 1-1. He's cranking out double the triple doubles. He's cranking out 30 point triple doubles. The efficiency is through the roof. His advanced metrics, once again, are insane. And the Denver Nuggets are the number one seed in the Western Conference currently. So we've started the all year. First draw poll, Jason Tatum was the leader. Jason Tatum, Celtics still number one. Tatum still averaging over 30 a game. Joel Embiid's in that conversation. Kevin Durant's in that conversation. Giannis is an interesting one, but I want to ask you this simple question. Do you think this is a two-man race for MVP? The short answer is no. Um, I think I still think there's still a lot of team success that goes into the the voting process, and a lot of people who look at you know the Celtics um, or the Nets who are on fire right now, they're going to look at the best player on those teams. Um, but from an advanced analytics standpoint, I think what we're seeing between Luca and Jokic on a nightly basis has been incredible. Um, I was in the building for two of them. I was there for the 60-21-10 on 12-27, and I was there again for 12-29 against the Rockets. Um, so on, on the 27th, Matt, it was probably the loudest, uh, maybe set top two loudest it's been inside the American Airlines Center. The only one that comes close to it is when Luca dunked on on Drew against the Bucks uh, a few weeks back because that – Everyone went bonkers for that play as well. By contrast, on Thursday, December 29th, that was the quietest 35, 13, and 12 game I've ever been a part of. And he he quietly just had a triple-double again, right? So um, both of these guys are amazing. Jokic, on the other hand, I, I was on the Nuggets on Christmas Day, so I loved it. But then I was on the Celtics on the first, and uh, Jokic killed me there. I mean, the, the shooting from Denver has been un- unbelievable. But um, no, so I don't think this is a two-man rest race. I still think, um, you know, Tatum, Giannis, Embiid, and Durant still have legitimate and justifiable arguments. Um, I do think uh, Jokic and Doncic are the front runners right now from an odd standpoint. Um, I believe Jokic is fourth, which I don't agree with. I think there's a lot of quote-unquote voter, voter fatigue, but... There shouldn't be. I mean, each year is different. Each year is mutually exclusive from the previous year. And what he's doing this year is MVP worthy. Um, I would say the when it comes to Durant and Embiid, you're going to get the, the potential for injuries more than the other guys, which is what we saw with Steph Curry, which is what we saw with Devin Booker recently. So um, guys like that, I would kind of stay away stay away from. So to answer your question, it's not a two-man race. But I think it's a four-man race right now if you include Tatum and Giannis. Yeah, interesting thoughts there. I, I think if you were to make a chart, right, and if you were to make a chart and, and you got all the guys on the in the rows, and then you've got the columns being things like advanced metrics, team success, um, durability, like availability, right, the number of games played, that is that always winds up being – that's become a bigger talking point in recent years of – if you have two guys that are similar, but one guy played 75 and one guy played 68, the 75 is always going to get that bump, right? And if it's 78 versus 74, the 78 is going to get that bump. Um, 
so you've got to kind of manage those two things. Brandon Anderson and I did when we did how to bet MVP in preseason. A lot of Brandon's model is, has kind of shown that older guys don't win. And there's a probably a correlation there between the durability that's required and how older players have to manage their bodies and that. Like if, if age were not a thing, you know, if we were just to ignore age and availability, Durant's probably the best value on the board because yeah. like Durant's numbers are insane. The Nets have won 11 straight. Like for every, this is my thing for everything Boston has done, they're a game and a half up on the Nets. Yeah. All of that game and a half up. Um, this is why to me, Tatum is a no bet. It was an, and I, I'm kind of tired of saying it because like I was very much saying Tatum's a no bet when they were on the run. Cause I was like, Hey, he's peaking too early. And now they're starting to fall off. And I'm still like, no, no, no. He's still a no bet because I don't think that the value is bottomed out yet. Uh, will there be a point where Jason Tatum probably has some value? Yeah. I could see that happening. He is averaging 30. He's averaging like he's it's 37, five, I believe is his numbers really good. Like Tatum's been amazing this year. The Celtics have been great. One thing I honestly wonder um, if how it's going to impact. And by the way, it's uh 31, eight, four for Tatum, by the way, which is uh, just remarkable in and of itself. One thing I think that's going to hurt him though, is Jalen Brown's like the seventh or eighth highest scoring player in the league. Yeah. Having a lot of help hurts. That shouldn't, you could say that's not fair. I totally agree. But this conversation you and I are having is about betting. Like we're betting what's going to happen, not what should happen. And those differentials are important. The thing with, I think with Jokic that's, that's fascinating is I'm seeing almost as much pushback to the idea of you can't vote a guy three times in a row as there is conversation about you can't vote a guy three times in a row i think that there's more kind of perspective of examining precedent and saying is this fair or not and also Jokic has benefited from this a lot because guys that won 47 48 games like he did the last two years historically don't win and he won and that i think honestly that helps luca here because luca's numbers do like epm the one i always talk about luca's number one EPM essentially says that this is a two-man race, that it's Luka and, and Jokic. And then there's a gap at 8.9, 8.8, and then a full 1.1 drop-off. And that's the Steph who's out. And then it's 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 Anthony Davis. And then it's Embiid. Like Tatum's all the way down at uh, eighth in EPM. And if you say like, what does that matter? It's not that EPM influences the voter. It's that whatever it is that the voters look for, EPM has been the best, in my opinion, at, at illustrating that. So I think it's an interesting question here. If it weren't for Durant's availability, then I would say that Durant's probably the best value on the board. Embiid is close to it, but again, like we just we don't see Embiid play that many games. And with Harden and Maxi now back, you kind of expect the usage to drop a bit. Then again, yeah. a big reason I didn't think Jokic would win this year is I didn't think he'd have the usage, and he doesn't. His usage rate is really low compared to the others. He's just destroying everything. Um, so trying to make sense of this, I think is crazy. But to me, I, I do, I agree with you that the leader should be Luka and Jokic. If there was one guy outside, like what's the best value on the board? Do you think? Man, the best value, <laughs> best value just might be the, the, the favorite man. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're getting a long number versus not um, the longest number doesn't mean it's the most valuable opportunity. Right. So right. I still think Luca uh, plus 
280. So basically three to one is, is great value. Jokic plus 440 is great value. The argument for Jason Tatum for the longest time, and he he doesn't have this anymore, is Boston was on a pace to win 65 plus games and completely tear through the Eastern Conference and have the number one overall seed. Uh, if they're going to come back to the pack or if the pack catches up to them, Tatum doesn't have that argument for MVP anymore because when when we're defining valuable value and what you bring to your team, obviously there's no one that does more for their individual team than Luka and Jokic, right? Because you, yeah. you can take out Tatum and Boston would still be a really good team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's hard as far as long shot, Nothing for me, man. Yeah. It's really, it's really just these top four. Maybe you're right. Let's take out Tatum. So it's really top three. I think Luca's. I think those numbers still long for him. Yeah, agreed. right. Luca plus two eighty. This number should probably be closer to two. Like, guy goes for sixty twenty ten. I don't know what what more you want from the guy. <laughs> he's he's getting it done. They're starting to win games. They're st- they're their win percentage is starting to stabilize. I think that yeah. that matters. Um. One and more Luka thing. For you. Shooting. Lucas shooting is finally back. Yeah. It was a really slow start to the year. Um, he's still struggling from the free throw line, Matt, a little bit, but the volume is there. So um, if he can get his efficiency numbers up, and that's why Jokic is Jokic, because he is insane when it comes to efficient yeah. efficiency numbers. Um, if Luca can continue this, you know, awesome three-point shooting, I think uh he should have this in the bag. Yeah, Jokic has like probably the second best numbers of any of the candidates, and he has the second lowest usage. Meanwhile, yeah, in efficiency, last uh, since December, I believe, uh, Luca's now shooting forty percent from three. So those numbers are going to stabilize, and that's going to help his EFG, and that's going to help his overall advanced metrics. All that's going to help him in consideration of that. One more, one more thing for you. If I if I gave you over under MVP finish, which by the way, I just want to say this: we should be able to bet this. I should be able to bet on MVP finish over unders. Um, if I gave you Tatum three and a half even money, do you want the under at one to Man, three? That's, over. that's a that's a really good line. He's just yes. set there. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have some confidence in the Boston team. I okay. think they're gonna finish first, and that's gonna give Tatum number three overall. Um, I'll take the over. As, yeah. as I again, not a Boston hater. Their strength is in how good the team is as a whole, but they've also shot unsustainably. This is part yeah. of it too. Is if they're shooting unsustainably, guess what that's going to juice? Tatum's assist numbers. Like, there's a correlational effect here. If the Celtics cool down and they've started to cool down over the this, this stretch of games, had a really bad outlier shooting night in, in Denver. That was so bad it was on the other end of the spectrum. Um, that game should have been closer. But as that cools off, Tatum's assist numbers go down. Their defense will probably continue to improve. They had a rough night last night. I will say like there are some trends that kind of go against Boston in terms of scoring efficiency versus switching defense is way up this season. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting kind of corollary because you're seeing teams like Miami, Toronto, and Boston who have dominated with their mix of switch and zone having more trouble. They're still good defensively this season. Like Boston and Miami are both top 10, but they're having, they're not like these elite top five defenses anymore, yeah. which is kind of interesting to kind of look at. I, f- I feel like Matt, we could talk about these guys all day long. One last yeah. point I wanted to say is that's really the last frontier for Jason Tatum. Like he's a great one-on-one player, an awesome scorer, but I don't feel like he's able to break down a defense and get someone else a, a really easy shot multiple times a game. Right. I think out of the top five or top six MVP candidates, you can make an argument. He's probably the worst passer of the six, 
I love Embiid in the post passing out of it. I like Durant because he he has seen double teams for 15 years. And then Giannis is an underrated passer. So um, I think Tatum, if he wants to take that next step and and be under the you know three and a half number that you set for him for several years down the road, he just needs to be a better playmaker. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a gap in terms of control of the game. Yeah, that I think exists. Good way to put it. Jokic, Luca, Durant, and I think in the rest of the crew, Embiid's close, but he still dr- struggles with double teams. Um, and Tatum, Tatum's getting there. He's made a huge stride, I think, this season. But the way that he controls the game is just not the same as as Jokic's. And Luca's honestly not even on Jokic's level, but it's closer. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the mic drop, which is the most important covers of the weekend. Uh, we'll start with last night's game. I was at Nuggets to defeat the Boston Celtics. So this is kind of an interesting situation. One, it was an outlier performance again by Boston. Um, I was on Boston as well in that game. It was, should have been a terrible matchup, right? Uh, Boston's the best team in the league, in my opinion, at reversing the ball to the weak side, which leads to corner threes. The Nuggets are, in my opinion, the worst team in the league at yes. overhelping strong side. Uh, they generated a lot of, of corner threes, and the Celtics just couldn't knock them down. Boston just did not have it. Really weird prolonged delay in the middle of the game. Honestly, the game was mostly over by that point. Not entirely. It was a 10-point game. It felt like Denver had it under control, but you never know with those kinds of weird stoppages. Um, Nuggets have now knocked off the Grizzlies, the Suns, who are without Devin Booker, um, Portland, Miami, and Boston at home. It's been a, a really good stretch run. They didn't have a lot of signature wins, and now they do. Boston's kind of interesting in that they had that weird dip. That they, they get creamed by the Warriors. They lost to the Clippers. They barely get by the Lakers. They come home. They lose twice to the Magic. They have this really bad stretch. The second half of the Wolves game, they pick it up and they kind of respond. They smoke the Bucks on Christmas, which the Bucks are having a lot of problems. I'm running about that on Action Network this week. You can find it in the Action Network app. And then it looks like maybe Boston stabilized, and then they have last night's game. And I'm starting to kind of wonder. They have a road-heavy schedule. They have a prolonged homestand in February where they have like four or five in the, at home and then a one game off and then like three at home again. But outside of that, they've got a pretty road heavy schedule. They're tied for the second most road games in the back half of the schedule. To me, Albert, I, I we talked about this a lot with Tatum. Um, you, you, you've got some confidence in Boston. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's not that I think that Boston's going to slide significantly. It's that I don't think Boston is separated from the pack. I don't think that this is a, they're their own tier. I think Boston's very much in a mix of teams in terms of their chances to win the Eastern conference and the title. The numbers do not reflect that yet. The market's not there on them yet. So I think there will come a time when we do want to bet Boston, but it's definitely not now because they're still the favorite right now at plus 350 bucks at plus 500 uh, who I don't want to bet by right now, by the way, Nets plus 800, like the, the Celtics should not be plus 350 and the best Western conference team, which is the Suns currently at plus 900. That gap doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I I guess. Well, first thing is I can't wait for that Bucks piece. I'm uh, interested to read about that. So looking forward to to that write up from you. Um, and the the other one is I'm more confident in the Celtics to finish with the best record. I don't know if I, in the East, I don't know if I'm confident that they will win mm-hmm. because right now the Nets are on fire, right? 11 straight wins. Um, 
so I don't know if any team can keep that sustainability, can keep that sustained. And so if they can go back down to earth, 60, 65% win percentage, I think the, the head start that Boston got at the beginning of the year is going to be enough for them to finish as the number one seed in the East. And that alone should be enough to get Tatum in the top four, maybe top three discussion, but you're right. Like as far as Boston as a team, big picture wise, there's a lot of issues with this team. Like I, you know, we were both on Boston yesterday. Yes. The nuggets were on fire, but there's just a lot of, you know, defensive mishaps. Robert Williams is back. So they can't play that card anymore. Um, Horford for some reason can only defend Embiid. He can't defend anybody else, <laughs> any other center. Um, and Tatum and Brown for how great they are on offense. And they're great. Both top 10 in scoring. They should be better on defense. And I know it's the regular season. Uh, they, they turn it up a, a little bit more in the playoffs, but on a night to night basis, they should be better individually on defense as well. I think that's really the, the reason why Boston is being held back because um, the teams that are making runs right now, the Nets, they're playing defense. Um, and so I think uh, I think that's, again, that's what's separating them. And again, I do have a little more confidence because I know I've seen it before. So I think they can still get to that level defensively. I just don't know if they can do it on a night-to-night basis. I think Tatum's been great defensively. I think Brown is really inconsistent. Um, I was talking to, a, to an assistant coach this week, and he was telling me, he's like, here's the thing with with, with Brown he's really good at things like navigating screens, anticipating where things are going to go. He's an extremely savvy defensive player, but he lacks sometimes the physicality. You can move through him. And the Nuggets did that a lot in yesterday's game, which is if you're going to switch everything, the Nuggets were like, we're going to put Jalen Brown in switches and get him buried under the basket under versus either Aaron Gordon or Nikola Jokic. And Brown just doesn't have the physicality. Um, they went small because they're still bringing Robert Williams off the bench. I don't really understand why I, I don't get this at all. Like, especially versus the Nuggets, the Nuggets play Aaron Gordon, six, eight, Michael Porter, Jr. Six, 10, Nikola Jokic, six, 11, like that they were, they were so much bigger than Boston. Yeah. And then, you know, Williams is out there versus a, a kind of a ragtag second unit. And but he's not out there with with the, the primary playmakers to take advantage of it, and they don't really run a pick and roll anyway. And Williams isn't a post up guy, so like I said, I, you're I think that there's a lot of stuff that they can fix. I also I will say this, like I think the Joe Missoula stuff is starting to wane. Like you're starting to see a few cracks in the, in the armor Agreed. here with how Joe Missoula um, might not be as good as we may have thought uh, initially. Elsewhere in the association, Memphis knocks off the Pelicans and Kings, both of those games at home. More importantly, Memphis is now second in overall defensive efficiency schedule adjusted over at Dunks and Threes. Um, They've made a a wild climb up the standings, and we'll talk about the biggest reason for that in our final segment. So I've been a a Memphis doubter this entire season, Albert. Um, My numbers are never going to be kind to them because their half-court offense is very middling. They're just never going to be very impressive in the half-court. And that's a big reason why I don't trust them in the playoffs is based off of their ability to handle when things grind down. But they're now second in half-court defense. Like That's what's holding them up is their half-court defense is really incredible and they're fifth in in transition defense they get back and they shut you down there as well and then they just run at you over and over again we're seeing wild home away splits 
with this team. Like that's been a lot of kind of them and the Warriors are the, are the two teams I think that have the wildest swings between who they are on the road and who they are at home. Like I have them, I have them right now, AC with an almost seven point home court advantage based off wow. the numbers this season and that's relative to their overall performance a lot of that's like they're just not that great on the road and they're really good at home because they just run the ball down your throat um they're getting good wins i'm i have i have moved them off of a fading them team to like i'm very middle of the ground on them what are your thoughts on the memphis grizzlies of where they're at i think um so I think it's it's tough for me to do a, a full grade on this team. Desmond Bain's been out so for so long. He's just yeah. recently yeah. getting back. Um, so that's really going to open up their their offense, especially in the half court on the road because you have an elite shooter there. Um, because when it comes to John Morant, his three-point shooting has plummeted. He started off the year on fire. I think in October, he shot over 50%, right, across six games. But since then... November 30%, December 24%, and only one game here in January, but he shot 20% in that one game. Um, so it's definitely going in the wrong direction. Um, but with Desmond Bain back in the fold, Jaron Jackson, who we both think is going to be the defensive player of the year as of right now, into the fold, this team should be getting a lot better and be getting more consistent on the road. But I'm I'm with you, to be honest, and I, I was with you from the very beginning. I've been bearish on this team, especially in a playoff format. They overexceeded expectations uh, last year, and I don't know if they can duplicate those type of expectations again this year. Um, I do like them. It's still a really tough place to play in Memphis, but um, in a seven-game series, you're going to have to win on the road, and I just don't think th- this team can do it. Finally, we got the Brooklyn Nets who have won 11 in a row now. I have been on this team talking about, like, I, it went from, hey, I think the Nets may have turned a corner to, hey, the Nets are pretty good yeah. to, hey, I think the Nets might be a title contender. And now, uh, AC, I have a Power Ratings article. Our trends piece goes up every two weeks on Monday. Uh, I'm working on, on finishing that up right now as we record this. I have the Brooklyn, I can't believe this. I, I have the Brooklyn Nets, the number one team in the league. <laughs> they have surpassed Boston in my in my power ratings. Um, they have like they're just so good in so many areas. They're so good in so many areas, and it's team strength. And they're getting contributions from Royce O'Neal and Yuta Watanabe and Nick Claxton de- is like a serious like needs to be on the all defensive list. And there's so much going on right now. There's a book right now you can still find them plus nine hundred to win the title. Like they're yeah. plus nine. You're getting better odds for them to win the title now than like what before the the trade disasters. Yeah, I I cannot. I I don't enjoy this given my feelings about this franchise and its various personalities. If somebody said, "Hey, I want to put a hundred dollars to win the NBA title right now," who should I bet? I don't have to think about it. The best value on the board right now is the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, and I I don't disagree. And a lot of that, not a lot, but. Outside of Luka and Jokic, on a nightly basis, Kevin Durant is arguably the best player in the league, best player in the world. And he has been for a while. And I think this team is only going to go as far as KD takes them. Um, but I do want to give flowers to their role players, right? You mentioned some of them. I think Yuta is shooting over 50% from three for the season. And he takes, I think, three, three and a half attempts per game. That's a pretty big sample size to shoot over 50%. Um, guys like Royce O'Neal, who... Uh, when Kyrie was out, started playing point guard and really started playmaking for this team. Ben Simmons is back in the fold. 
Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of role players that understand the role. Jacques Vaughn has them playing defense, like I mentioned earlier. And if you're playing defense and you have one of the best closers who ever lived in Kevin Durant closing out fourth quarters for you, you're going to have a chance. And it, during this 11-game winning streak, for example, it's not like they're blowing teams out, Matt. It's not like they're covering every game. They're just keeping it close, and KD's taking them home in the fourth quarter or a Kyrie game-winning shot, things like that. So um, they have they have the cojones, if you will, in the playoffs. You know they're not sh- going to shy away from those type of shots, and they definitely have a mixture of, of young guys, hungry guys, and veterans who have won it. So, um, again, this is a great team. It might be just like a – a blip in the radar, like, um, you know, reaction to Jacques Vaughn becoming head coach, right? We have to see it for a longer sustained period of time. Um, but yeah, you're right. Plus 900 with uh, two all-stars and a couple really, really nice role players in a watered down Eastern conference. I like it. Vaughn's plus 330 at one book to win coach of the year. And if I was going to bet that field right now, like that's who I would bet on. Uh, we talked about kind of Missoula and whether or not they're gonna he's gonna hold plus two thirty for Missoula. Willie Green with the Pelicans is plus three ten. I have a preseason position on him. Um, I'm seriously thinking about putting in a position on Vaughn. Uh, he'll get so much credit for keeping a team like this together, for weathering the Kyrie storm, for bringing this team back together, for taking them from being what was to joke defensively to being very good on that end. I I, I really think Jacques Vaughn has a shot at this thing. So which is just crazy given tj warren is back so you have a lot of scoring punch off the bench joe harris hasn't even returned yet i mean this this team overnight can get really deep really fast and you're right Jacques vaughn is the reason for it so props to him league sources also say that they're shopping they're Mm -hmm. looking for they're they're looking to package some of those veterans joe harris patty mills to try and get an upgrade in terms of size defensively and that's the one hole that they have is their interior defense um that's gonna be the kind of question right is okay, they can get through the regular season. Can they handle the interior size of teams like the Cavaliers or the Bucks? Um, Boston obviously gave them different problems last year. I'd be curious to see that matchup this year, but boy. Can you, manif- can you manifest a JaVale for Seth trade? Because they could have JaVale. I want my shooter back in Dallas. There you go. Yeah, I think every Mavericks fan wants, wants Seth back. All right, as we do every week here on the show, we're going to do, if you had to bet the awards right now, this is just a sense for where we're at. Um, we'll let you know if we are actually making bets. Uh, for me, the value is on Nikola Jokic right now, plus 440. Um, I, look, I I have to just take a bunch of crow on this. I was like, there's no way that he gets it three years in a row. The usage is going to be down with Jamal Murray and MPJ back. And um, yeah, they're going to win enough games, but you got other guys are going to put so much bigger stat lines up. And even then, like Jokic is not, he's not even averaging 27. My number that I got him on was I, I bet him to win, to score less than 27 per game. He's still below that despite all these exploits. But everyone that's watching night to night, the conversation seems to be about Jokic is amazing. He's the best player in the league. Look at all the stuff that he does. Yeah. Um, To me, the best value is on Nikola Jokic right now, plus 440. You are passing this week, huh? Yeah, so I, I agree with Jokic there. Um, but I also want to give Flowers, even though this is an MVP discussion, but Aaron Gordon, been second best player there on the Nuggets there. Props to him for a consistent season. He's been up and down his entire career. Just want to give him his flowers. Um, I'm already, as you know, in Luka really, really heavy. So I don't know if I want to add to that position. Yeah. But if I didn't bet anything yet, it would most likely be Luka at plus 280. Uh, Sixth man of the year. Uh, I'm going to go back to the well with Norman Powell, plus 1,700. Um, he is third now in scoring off the bench this season. 
the number one guy is Benedict Matherin, who's been on a very slow, very gradual, very slow, but a decline since his hot shooting start. Number two in bench scoring is Christian Wood, who's now starting for the Dallas Mavericks. So we'll yep. see if Jason Kidd keeps that up. But it looks like he's going to have to with Maxi Kleba out. So um, that frees up more space for Powell. I expect the Clippers to have a strong second half of the season. I expect Powell to be a part of that coming off of his groin injury. Uh, he's back to to being healthy and playing. So I expect Norman Powell to, to be a, a really good value there. I'll take Powell at plus 1700. You're going back to your guy, Malik Monk, huh? Yeah, Malik Monk. Um, he's just, like I said, he's been, he's been great and he's averaging more minutes as the season goes on. October, only 18 minutes, November, 24 minutes, January now up to 26 minutes. If he's going to be above 25 minutes and still score 18, grab five rebounds, dish out three assists. I mean, that type of, uh, per 48 type of numbers. I mean, that's that's unbelievable in my opinion. So I like Monk at plus 2300. Um, there's a lot of other guys on this on this uh, you know award here. Like Brogdon is sneaky, but we're low on Boston, so I couldn't do that. But I like Malik Monk, and I like the Kings offense, obviously. If you take 25 games since November 1st, if you exclude that first two weeks of the season, um, Powell doesn't qualify. Malik Monk's up to 16 points per game. You want a guy in about the 18-point range. So we're still mm -hmm. kind of short on, on candidates that fit the historical profile. That award continues to be pretty baffling to try and predict. Uh, most improved player, Shea's already to minus 170. That's the stop point, uh, especially with the Thunder kind of spiraling. And I'm really worried that they're just simply not going to win enough games for him to get consideration for the award. This award has gone historically to players that were on good teams. Even if you go back to the non-All-Stars, if you go back to guys like um, CJ McCollum, Portland was a, was a playoff team. Team success really has kind of mattered in most improved player, even though that doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface. So I'm worried about the Thunder there. At the same time, like I have a hard time seeing Shade not being an all-star. I mean, he's been insane. Like the numbers are ridiculous. He's so good. Yeah. Uh, so if you've haven't if you've already bet Shea, okay, um, then I think Halliburton is probably plus three sixty. My numbers are kind of saying the Pacers have stabilized. I kept waiting for the Pacers to kind of fall off a cliff, and they just haven't. I think the Pacers might be a playoff team. Now, if they're a playoff team and Hal Burton's put up the numbers that he does, he's got a really good shot of sneaking past Shea for this award, and you can still get him at plus 360. So Hal Burton plus 360 is where I think the value is. Yeah, for me, is Larry Markkinen. We've been talking about this guy all season long. Obviously, he's taken you know his Euro League in the summer, uh, his game up to new heights here in the NBA. Um, but what I wanted to point out is his awesome rebounding numbers, man. He has 14, 16, and 12 in three of his last four games. He's averaging over eight and a half rebounds for the season. I think with Kelly Olynyk, who we can both agree is a little weaker when it comes to, you know, being a, you know, a plotting center and grabbing defensive boards. So Larry being the number four guy there is doing an excellent job grabbing and helping out on the defensive boards. And I think uh, a lot of that is, you know, we don't really talk about, but the defensive rebounding is also part of defense. And I think that helps his case there for MIP. You know, his scoring is always there. You know, his shooting is going to be there. I think he shot over 90% from the free throw line in December. Um, so I like this. Uh, I like the value at plus 550. I can't get there because Utah is seven and 14 since starting the season, 12 and six. Um, they've just been in a tailspin and it's sad. I really wanted this team. This team was a great story, but I, with their slow decline, I can't trust their front office either to not to shut down marketing or to trade him for pieces. And then you don't know what his role is going to be on the next team. So for me, Lori's a no bet right now, which is too bad. I've got him at really good numbers, felt great about it, but can't eat closing line value. 
uh, defensive player of the year. We kind of been teasing this when we talked about Memphis. Um, so this happened very quickly. It, it caught me off guard. I put in a 10 unit bet this morning on Jaron Jackson Jr. That's a huge. Okay. Okay, Matt. It's a huge position for me. I have to cover all of the other bets I made, Albert. Let's not, it's not a matter of confidence. It's I have to try and make up ground on, on where I am on all the other guys. Um, so Jaron, if we look at this, there's a number of things to consider here. Grizzlies up to number two and overall defensive efficiency schedule adjusted. Um, Grizzlies up to number two in half court defense, which is the most predictive measure of how good your defense actually is. Uh, amongst players that play qualified minutes, Jaron Jackson Jr. now has the best defensive rating of any player in the NBA. So on court, they allow fewer points per hundred possessions with him on the floor of any player that plays at least 20 minutes per game. Um, let's go to EPM, that number I like so much over at Dunks and Threes. On the defensive adjusted plus estimated plus minus, Jaron Jackson Jr. is number one with a bullet at plus 4.4 on the defensive end. The next closest is a full 1.1 behind him. That's Alex Caruso. And then, like, the gap between him and Caruso is the same as between Caruso and, like, number 15. Uh, the gap for Jackson is huge. Jackson... The, the Grizzlies were a mediocre to middling to unimpressive defense. Jackson comes back and all of a sudden they're elite. Um, all of these factors combined. I, to me, I look at the foul trouble and I think that's an issue. I do worry about the injury st stuff, but quite honestly, Jaron's impact has been so great. I have to bet him right now for defensive player of the year. Yeah. I mean, so he's only played 20 of the 36 games. Let's say he plays 90% of the remaining games, he's going to get to 65, right? Six, six, 65 games yep. or 60 to 65 games. Um, that might be enough. The one knock against him, because I agree with you, Jaron Jackson is definitely the best defensive player in the league. I don't know if he's a de defensive player of the year award winner. The knock on him is he fouls too much. Yep. If he's going to be in foul trouble every single game and play less than 25 minutes, um, even though his raw stats and production is absurd when it comes to blocks and, and steals, um, he just needs to be able to play defense without fouling. And I think that's an art and a skill in and of itself as well. So if he can improve that and get his you know, minutes per game average higher, closer to 30, he's going to run away with this award. He also needs to rebound the ball a little better, Matt. I think he's under seven rebounds. And again, that's partly because he only plays 25 minutes and partly because um, um, the center that stands next to him is grabbing 20 rebounds aboard a night nowadays. So um, I agree with you. I think Jaron Jackson, if it wasn't for that injury early in the season, we would be seeing the same odds that we're seeing with Shea for MIP. Uh, he would be the runaway favorite as of now. So I think uh, in a week or in 10 games from now, you're going to get that number to be a lot shorter and potentially in the, you know, in the minus range. So um, I agree as a Jaron Jackson or, or no play for me. When we talk about the, the major candidates for the award, um, you mentioned the games played OG Anobi's at 32 games, right? But I just don't know that OG's ever going to put up enough highlights to get the a credit that he really deserves. Um, Nick Claxton, I think, fits in that same kind of category. Nick Claxton's a switch big. He's not going to get blocks and rebounds as much. Um, Jared Allen, who I have a big position on, he's only played 30 games, so he's only played 10 more than than Jaron. 
uh, already. Draymond is at 33, but the Warriors defense is middling because how bad their bench is. So he's not going to get the credit maybe that he deserves. Um, AD out. Joel Embiid, I think, is probably a sneaky good candidate, uh, as much as I hate that because of how much I argued with uh, um, Brandon Anderson about it. Embiid's only played 27 games, but if he's got a seven-game lead on Jaron Jackson, like he'll wind up playing more. And the Sixers have an elite defense as well. They're the number one half-court defensive team. So there's some other guys in there. But for me, I think the hype, the media conversation, the direct impact, the biggest part of this, honestly, is that the Grizzlies were not a good defense. Jaron comes back. They're an elite defense. That's a really easy narrative to kind of see for the voters. So Jaron Jackson Jr., plus 155 at FanDuel. You can find it as high as plus 175 in the market let's go wrap it up for this edition of buckets thanks for joining us we're back tomorrow ac's going to join me and jay money for our usual best bets episode for tuesdays back all this week as football winds down we'll probably be adding best bets episodes to make sure to keep it here make sure to rate review and subscribe hit us up on twitter let us know that you enjoyed the show always love to hear from guys that are listening out there folks that are listening to the show make sure to download the award-winning action network app for all your betting content needs we'll see you guys again next time until then let's get buckets Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.